Welcome to the House of Strauss. Yeah, go for it. Stars hang with stars, winners hang with winners. Welcome to the House of Strauss podcast. I am overjoyed. Our returning champion, Nick Wright of First Things First, television phenom. I mean, how do you introduce yourself at a party, Nick, if you by some chance encounter somebody who isn't into sports? What do you say about what you do? Oh, I mean, well, if they ask me what I do, it depends. You know, that's a very interesting question. If I am not in the mood to discuss work, or I just say I'm in television and hope that the I hope that they just assume that means like sales or something. If I you know what I mean? Uh, but if someone asks me what I do for a living and I'm you know, the, I'll just say I host a TV show uh, for Fox Sports. And then sometimes, you know, and then someone's like, oh, like the local affiliate in New York. I'm like, no. <laughs> FS the national I do it and they and then you sometimes there is you know there was a so I put this is a kind of random but maybe it's a good way to start the podcast so I was just on vacation you and I texted during it setting this up and I do something that I do basically once a year uh I post a picture of my wife on vacation usually on a boat you looking very beautiful and I post it captionless and I just post that to all to so to Twitter or wherever. And two separate websites, Bro Bible and some other website, wrote to the same effect, the same article, which is Nick White Nick Wright has a shockingly attractive wife. And while it is very complimentary to her, Ethan, when you really dive into that. That is not even low key. That is a massive insult to me because I, I listen, I'm not famous, but I have a level of fame. I I make a good living. And most people, I think, assume that most guys that have, you know what I mean, that are, you know, have, yeah. are on TV, make a good living, probably usually have an attractive spouse. The reason it's newsworthy is because what these websites are saying is despite Nick's success, he is so objectively unattractive. It is <laughs> shocking that he is a beautiful, significant other. Uh, I don't know how that I got to that story, but I'm glad I got to I'm, tell I'm it. I'm laughing because I just did a Google search of these headlines. One of them is NBA fans react to the picture of Nick Wright and his wife. <laughs> what, yeah. How would they – how is this a story? <laughs> it's unbelievable. That's the thing is, and by the way, she is drop dead gorgeous. I get that, but is it was it is it her, her beauty that makes it noteworthy, or is it only her beauty in conjunction with my odd lookingness that makes it a story? I think it's the latter, not the former. Well, do you think that the hive mind might have internalized that you had met her prior to your fame and it knows it at some level and that is informing their reaction that you you I don't know, man, because if you read those comments and I stay away from the comments, but she doesn't and she will mix it up with people sometimes and she people are convinced once again because of the discrepancy and attractiveness that, oh, 
This is a money situation. Unbeknownst to them, we're approaching our 10-year wedding anniversary here in a couple of weeks together. Congratulations. For almost, thank you. Together almost 15 years. And when we, she and I, when she and I went on our first date, I was making literally $8 an hour. And while we were dating, I got my first full-time job, which paid me exactly $23,400 a year. And so it was not, it was certainly not, you know, she was the breadwinner. I mean, I mean, she was, she, she was the one supporting me in the early years. Um, And so, yeah, such is life, but go ahead. Sorry. That's not what you brought me on for. No, that's, I, I enjoy that. Um, I'm wondering, does she ever feel like a, a coach or a GM that made a great draft pick and, and go, Hey, no, you that's know, how I, I feel. That's how I feel. The, uh, <laughs> the, you know, because that set the beauty aside, she, for the, your listeners that are here in New York city, uh, if they ever need women's clothing, she owns a women's boutique, which is actually where I do my podcast from. So if you watch what's right with Nick, Wright, That is actually shot in the dressing room of Trentage, which is my wife's clothing store. A little plug here, Trendy plus Vintage, Trentage here in Harlem. So that's her store. Yeah. That's the first it's the first advertisement on this year. Subscription uh, subscription podcast. I I like that. Uh, That's that's great detail. I mean, I, I actually would like to start off. Kind of where we started off last time, because sure. where we started off last time, uh, maybe you don't remember, you do millions of hours of television every day. Um, you came into it assuming that I didn't like you. Yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah, the inverse, the inverse of the truth. Um, but you you uh, pressed on something that was true about the industry, which is that the fancy pants sports writer set has this odd, condescending, uh, sneering attitude towards people who do sports talk television and you know funny enough now that i think about it it's the only thing they share in common with the athletes they cover that's the only topic that they can agree on is this kind of um anger towards people who give sports opinions on uh television so i just want to take this opportunity to say right here because some of the people listening i know are fancy pants writers themselves or readers of such people uh first things first is a good show it's a oh, good thank show, you. man. It's I, a I appreciate good show. that. It's a much <laughs> listen. First of all, thank you, Ethan. Second of all, and I, you can tell me if you agree with this or not. It is a far better show than the last time I came on with you because it's a mm. new, sh- it's a different show now. Now that we're back in studio, it's me, Wilds, and Broussard. It is to me. You know, I've been doing the show. It's kind of crazy for five and a half years now. Um, this is the best version of it. And I think it's because actually I, we take ourselves less seriously than this shows that, you know what I mean? We listen, I think yeah. we are a smart show. I think we make smart points and you know how much, you know, I will defend my sports opinions to the death, but we are trying to have fun and you know what I mean? And make each other laugh and smile. And I appreciate that. I think the show is, I'm very proud of the show that we're doing right now. And so I appreciate you saying that. The chemistry is great. And I was enjoying it so much. Uh, watching the 49ers through the playoffs just as a casual, ultra-casual football fan, trying to get a handle on, well, what do the national guys think of this whole Brock Purdy situation? And I found myself really enjoying it. And it's it's the chemistry with uh, you, Wilds, and Broussard that it just it just works. And indeed, I, I kind of think – I'll throw this one at you. If you guys were a podcast 
and had caught fire as a podcast. Do you think some of the uh, the the writers and, and and other people have a totally different impression of what the show is and be not that they're against it, but they'd be far more favorable? Well, about maybe it? I think a lot of listen. I think a lot of how what I do, like not my show specifically, but just sports television in general, it is a very different experience if you consume it by turning it on TV and watching for 15 or 20 minutes, or if you consume it on your Twitter timeline. Because on the Twitter timeline, all you are going to get is not all, but the vast majority of what we put out there is the most either polarizing, what people would call hot takey edge yeah. opinions, because those are the 90 second things that can cut through. If the only way you consume the show is, you know, you you follow one of us on Twitter or you see it retweeted in your timeline, that is a very different experience than if you turn on the show and watch it for 20 minutes. You, does that make sense? So no, I think people yeah. I think I think that I think people that watch the show think it understand what the, I think let me say that differently. I think people yeah. that don't watch the show but have seen clips of the show probably think it is a very different show than it actually is. Um and also I have to, you know, I'm self-aware enough to know I, I lean into a lot of the things that make me open for critique or criticism because, A, I do really enjoy sports argument and sports debate. B, I do, um, what's the word? I do, uh, you know, kind of the way I argue and the way I present things is such a self-assured matter of fact, if you don't agree with me, you must not be understanding me kind of style that it does. It does, I think, feed what a lot of people's perceptions of the worst parts of sports television. Uh, and that's fine. Like, I, I don't. I am not doing the show to try to win over colleagues, really. I'm doing the show because I love it, because it's the as good of a job as I could imagine having, and because I want the sports fans to enjoy it. And I do think that, like, there are certain people, I think, that think it is ridiculous that a show that I would say is... 65% NFL, 30% NBA, 5% other, that the vast majority of what we talk is NFL, and I am an unabashed fan of one of the teams. Like, how mm. can you do that? But that's but that is assuming that my job is to be an unbiased journalist. That ain't my job. My now I do think I have an obligation to be honest about my biases. You know what I mean? To I yeah. think that. I, but I don't hide the fact that I'm a Chiefs fan. I was hugging Patrick Mahomes at the parade. Like, the, you know what I mean? I don't hide that. And then people can consume it as they wish. Uh, Nick is literally wearing a, a red and white uh, zip I am. That's up just a speak. coincidence. But that is true. I am wearing a yeah. red and white uh, well, sweatsuit. Okay. So that's an interesting one because I came into covering the Warriors – uh, by just writing on fan blogs, SB Nation, yep. and then Warriors World. And then eventually I was hired to be a beat writer. And your your relationship 
has to change with the team. It just, it just has to, but I made some calls on the Warriors that ended up coming true, or maybe I was earlier than other people. And I think it's so, it's so easy sometimes to say that, oh, you're overly optimistic about this player or the situation because you're a homer and you're biased. And I, and I would say that kind of thing happens, but you're also more likely to hear a car alarm. If you're near the car, you're more likely to see Patrick Mahomes coming if you're watching every minute of his career and you're highly invested sure. in what's happening, you are very biased towards the chiefs emotionally. I would say you've also probably been more correct about their trajectory and Mahomes' trajectory than anybody else. And the two things uh, appear to be related. Well, and it also, the, so that's definitely, I, I would say that's definitely true. I, the, and it also can, people don't, you know, I wasn't on TV, but I was in media before Mahomes got there. And I was as much of a Chiefs fan, but I was as big of a Chiefs pessimist as you'd ever have met because of following them, watching them, and seeing how, no matter how great they were in the regular season, the years always ended in some type of tragic playoff ending. And so, but people, the TV show didn't exist then really. And there was one year we were on the air pre Mahomes getting there and nobody really cared about the chiefs. So they weren't a big topic of conversation that does actually. So I got into it just the other day on Twitter with some people who cover the saints, because I believe that there, there is, and I'm not saying this was you with the warriors, but I think Hmm. there has now been an element once upon a time, local media was the most critical of their teams. Like the, mm. the, at least in my experience that the local media was highly, highly critical of their local teams. I think we now have gotten to a place where in many markets, what, and again, if you are simply saying, I am a fan that gets to cover the team, no problem. But in many markets, you have the local news anchor, the local, you know, I don't want not necessarily beat writer, but person that covers the team for the, you know, the localized blog or whatever that that claims to be calling it down the middle. That is so clearly blinded by not only it'd be one thing if you're blind by fandom. What I think has happened in certain places is you have a lot of folks that are blinded by the little morsels of access that the the GM or the head coach has given them. And then I think they do a disservice and mislead their audience. So like I, the, not that we have to get into the new Orleans saints cat minutiae, but (laughs) from an objective perspective, the new Orleans saints to use a very generic analogy, just keep putting things on the credit card. And they are that that in football, that can make sense if right now, this moment, you have a great chance of winning the Super Bowl, like what the Rams did, and they did win the Super Bowl. The Saints were trying to do that with Breeze. I believe it is mismanagement if you were below 500 last year and you're starting Derek Carr this year to act like your Super Bowl window is open. I pointed that out, and I expected Saints fans to be mad at me. What I didn't expect was the overwhelming response from folks with blue check marks saying, I don't understand how the fucking salary cap works. And there's a lot mm. of things you can say that'll not that'll roll off my back. 
But implying I don't understand how salary caps okay. work. Now that's a bridge too far for me. I actually, I just want to interject. I have that yeah. on my list of. I actually literally had that on my list of things to ask you about because I've been noticing the um, the facility you have with the NFL salary cap, and I was curious about it. But now I'm being a bad interviewer and just trying to show I studied and interrupt. No, your go answer, ahead. So, yeah. Go ahead. Ask whatever no. you want. How did you come by that? Did you sit there and did you study it? Just all them. I you just know, a think few it's, weeks. I, I don't think I, there are certain things that are very convoluted. So there are certain provisions of the NBA salary cap, for example, that Larry Kuhn, I think, runs like a three day seminar on where it's like whether or not you're going to be hard capped and how trade exceptions can work and, you know, bird rights or partial bird. Some of those things. I don't know and I don't claim to know. I just, my job, I feel like, is to find the people who do know, read what they say, trust them, and then tell the audience that Eric Pincus is a great guy on stuff like that. There's different people. The NFL salary cap is not complicated. It is very simple. It is a hard-capped sport where you must get under, you know what I mean, whatever the cap is, once the league year's going on, Every dollar you pay a player must be accounted for on some year's cap at some point. And the workaround is you can put things on the credit card years and years into the future, but eventually it must show up. Those That's the basics of it. It is not complex. And I think some folks, teams have tricked their fans into thinking, oh, the salary cap is fake. Like, I think teams do it on both sides. One side is teams that want to be cheap can always claim, ah, oh, we don't have the cap space, when it's always possible to create the cap space in the short term. And teams that want to be what I would consider irresponsible because incentives are misaligned because GMs want to make sure they keep their job, not, you know what I mean, and more yeah. necessarily than they want to do the thing in the long-term best interest for a team. The, the the what I was saying is you can so then some teams try to act like the cap is fake. The cap is not fake, and those bills come due. The question is whether or not you want to admit you have missed your window, take your medicine, and then start fresh, or if you want to keep the analogy I always use, keep spending on the credit card as if you've been given a terminal diagnosis. Like a doctor told you you have six months to live, and you're like, well, then this Amex, I'm maxing it out. That ain't my problem. And I don't think it's that complicated. And I don't think it's that difficult to digest. But I think people who are just fans of a team that have jobs and lives and everything, they can't be expected to understand it. They trust the media to be telling them the truth. And I think some media is obviously, you know, just naturally negative. And I think more and more some media is just blowing sunshine at when it's yeah. non-existent. Yeah, I, and I want to I want to drill down on that because I think a lot of that is related to a loss of standing that um, the industry is always less of what it was the year before. And you see, I mean, newspapers, it's not even precarious. It's practically dead. And the people involved in these institutions don't necessarily feel like they've got a firm patch of ground to stand on and to say, hey, hey, you know, we are owed answers. I get to have an opinion about you. It feels 
just very precarious. Like they can be gone tomorrow. Then you combine it with how maybe they get a morsel of attention here or there. Um, you know, maybe they get followed by the team account. I don't know, but the dynamic is different. I mean, I might piss some people off, but it was shocking to me to watch the Ime Udoka situation play out and for the Boston Celtics to do that that press conference with the Boston media. I mean, a hard-bitten, northeast, cold-weather, take-no-shit media, and they go, yeah, so um, we're going to you know, suspend this guy uh, in perpetuity. Uh, not a lot of details we got for you. Can't really tell you this or that. Um, something with an employee, uh, maybe a relationship. And uh, that's about it for you people. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, and here's the new coach. And everybody in the Boston media just seems, I mean, maybe some questioned. I don't absorb everything they put out there. It was like, yeah, who's the new coach? Oh, it's Missoula. Okay. There was no, hey, uh, are you guys hiding something that you did? Because if you're not telling us what happened here, we, we might think that perhaps you're protecting whatever went on here. It seems like maybe people are owed more of an explanation, but that's just how things are these days. The the Warriors say Andrew Wiggins has some sort of personal issue. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. And I, I think that my former colleagues are probably trying to uncover that or wade through whatever those waters are. I only cite it as an example of how the teams and the players to a certain extent don't seem to feel they have as much of a responsibility to explain things. And the way they feel and, and the reason they feel that way in part is because I don't think the media thinks it has as much of a role to figure it out and put anybody's feet to the fire. So I think that's really well said. I wanted to let you finish that. My daughter's iPad's right over there. I'm going to mute it. I don't know if you can hear it going get, off. Uh, I can't. I okay, well, good. But I, okay. uh, it was her, her first little group chat is going crazy. It's I okay. didn't want to interrupt does, what you were doing. Uh, yeah, my, yeah. So, my okay, so, all right, that's good yes. now. But all, all, we can pick up there, uh, or you can leave that in. I don't care. The um, <laughs> Either way. I, I'm going to – I'm gonna. there's a first cousin of that that I actually think is maybe more problematic that I thought of when you were talking about the Ime Udoka thing. Here's what I think should be banished from sports media, maybe all media. The saying out loud on television, radio, podcast, whatever. Oh, when the, when the real details of this come out, <laughs> though that 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 like I know the real story, but I can't say it. So I'm just going to allude to I I don't know who that serves. I, it strikes me as a little unfair, and I don't understand the utility of it other than when something does come out, if it does, you can be like, see, I knew it. Like either you can go with it or you can't. But that's I, it seemed like that was happening a lot surrounding that specific story. And it, yes. see, it just leads people to think of the worst possible things. And I don't know what you do with that there. I don't I don't know what the point well, of that. Is. It's an insinuation of status. It's this idea that we in the media are part of this secret group that know the details, but we're not going to tell you guys about it out there. And, you know, eventually this is going to come out, but I'm not going to be working hard to make it come out. I get avoiding certain stories, especially when it's messy, especially when it has to do with families going through turmoil. I understand it. But in those instances to what you're saying, you probably shouldn't be telling. I think you probably just shouldn't say anything. 
And it was yeah. like the, and again, I'm not trying to like pick on people, but like Matt Barnes in his car being like, oh boy, <laughs> I heard what I heard that. Oof. And it's like, that's the most details we got. And so I don't, I, I don't know. You mentioned the newspaper thing. I'm going to, this is a somewhat of a hard right turn, but I want to, I just want to ask your opinion on this. Sure. Because you and I, I think have at least slightly different politics in certain ways we're probably very aligned on certain things do you think no clue yeah (laughs) do you think it makes sense for there to be public federal or state funding for the newspaper industry (laughs) i did not i could not have expected that question in a million years um I would say no. I would say no because uh, it, you you mentioned whatever my politics are. I think I'm uh, I'm a practitioner of the how did that work outism ideology. Uh, I see whatever just worked and I go that worked or that didn't. I am not impressed with the Canadian journalistic product. What they, about the BBC? I don't know as much about the BBC because it's a different continent. Um, and I wouldn't want to speak on it. There have been BBC programs I enjoyed back in the day. Wasn't sister Wendy on the BBC. I thought she was pretty good. Well, I don't uh, know that I, that, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and plead ignorance on that, but I, there was, so go ahead. I'll let you finish since I asked you the question. No, um, I, I just think the incentives are a little bit screwy right there. I, I think the critique in Canada is that the media is too pro government. And they, you know, I'm not saying that it becomes a totalitarian state, but I don't think that the end product is that great. So as much as I would want such industries to be steadier, um, when I look to our neighbors up north, uh, I I would say just based on that, I wouldn't want to go with it. So I think that's a very fair and and well-reasoned and well-thought-out point. The counterpoint is, I think the... I think the shredding of the newspaper industry in America is a top 10 crisis we're dealing with. Mm. And I think it is some of the other crises we're dealing with. We would not be dealing with if not for that. And I'm not the first person to make this point, but I'll make it here. Like people are like, well, the Washington Post and the New York Times are fine and they're doing great. I'm not worried about the White House not being covered. I'm not worried mm. about Congress not being covered. Yeah. I am worried like crazy about local city councils, courts, yeah. water boards, They're not like waterboarding, but like, you know what I mean? The people who make yeah, sure yeah. the water, th- those things that you can never make money in. There will never be in like click based advertisement based journalism uh, in today's media environment. There will never be a return on investment on a full time local courts reporter. But that is like or the local small city councils. But that those are the those are the people that actually impact people's individual people's lives so much more so on a day-to-day level than big national stories. And if we don't have local reporting, I think it is such a 
just a not a recipe for corruption, but an invitation yeah. for corruption. And so I don't know, like New Orleans is a major American city that doesn't really have a newspaper right now. I don't know what you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how that's sustainable. And the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal can't save the day there. Like that's the, 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 and so that to me is highly, highly concerning. Highly concerned. Yeah. Oh, I, I completely agree. And it leads to just a lot of entropy, a lot of chaos. But I think it's one of these situations where we recognize a void, but we can't go back. And a lot of things are like that in modern life, where we recognize that we lost something. We recognize a lot of good things came from just moving forward in time, but we lost something along the way and we can't just, we can't just return to it. That sort of thing happens. And I'm certainly not smart enough to figure it out, but I'm in, in total agreement um, that it is a void and that when people aren't being watched and then you combine it with this factor of people now experience the world through their phones so they can curate their own reality. So the physical reality immediately surrounding them becomes less of a concern um, I often, when I'm just driving around Berkeley, look around and see things looking a little bit rougher and looking a little bit more trashed up. And it just seems like, well, that kind of makes sense because most of our reality or more of our reality, it's on the phone. I think if it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there would be more of a sense of, ah, we gotta, we gotta really, you know, improve this, but the, this just isn't as much of people's worlds now. Well, the, so that's so again, and then we can get back to your list of things you actually want to talk about. So that's yeah. it, it's very interesting because I do wonder how much of what we perceive to be like current reality is actually accurate. So with mm. the people I so People are, and this is a tale as old as time that, you know, I shouldn't say as old as time, but over the last 30 years, people are increasingly and increasingly concerned with crime as the world and the country gets increasingly and increasingly safer. And Bloomberg just came out with like the 50 biggest cities in the country, the murder rate, right? Homicide mm. rate. And New York, where I live, one of the safest cities in the country. I think it was the sixth lowest murder rate of any major city. Yeah. But seemingly everyone in New York does not believe that to be true, including the mayor, who is a former cop, which is an issue separate, who basically tells everyone at every chance you get, this city's a, a hellscape. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so – uh it, it, there is like an element of like there is the objective truth of New York City is by a factor of 10 safer than it was 35 years ago. Yeah. And then the additional objective reality that people that are lifelong New Yorkers swear this is the most dangerous it's ever been. And I think that is because. We are now, to bring it to your point about living through our phones, we are now seeing and, and we are having curated for us the so much dystopic news about how the world is falling apart around us. 
that that becomes real. And that then becomes a different question of what is not to get so, you know, existential, but what is safety? Is safety actually how at risk you are or is it how safe you feel? Mm. And if people feel unsafe, does that mean, you know, is that more damaging than them actually being being unsafe but feeling safe? No, this is that's it's such a thing that's royally in our politics. And it's we as and I mean, like I said, add as a note on on New York and the cities, um, they are way safer than they were in the early 90s, but they're less safe than they were five years ago. And so I think some of it is related to a lack of trust because people start to experience the slide and they're not trusting that anybody is going to put a doorstop on that. Why is it a doorstop? I don't even know what I'm saying, but just that somebody's going to avert the slide. So I think, I think that's a component, but part of why the arguments over politics are so vicious uh, on social media, I think is that sense that one anecdote is going to win and that will triumph. It's the triumph of the anecdote as far as what is important and what problem we need to address. And it's going to be the exclusion to something else. And so it becomes a very big deal as to whose reality is winning. And there isn't this sense necessarily of, okay, here are the trends, here are the statistics. Um, And to what you're saying, I think people's perception of that issue is bundled up in their perception of other things. You know, if there are a bunch of encampments around, maybe crime isn't soaring, maybe the murder rate isn't up, but the city just doesn't look like what it used to look like. And so it's all it's all bundled together. But I will pivot. I will pivot because you did mention the um, the Udoka and the Matt Barnes thing. It, It occurred to me you have great chemistry on your show. You, you rotate in former athletes, former coaches, but the core of it is you, Kevin Wilds, Chris Broussard, non-athletes. Yep. What do you think of how much former athletes, former coaches, people in the sports industry are included on these programs and are they, are they over-indexed? Ooh, over-indexed is interesting. I don't – so I think it – So let's go to a show that I always compliment, and it is not in my interest because it is on at the same god dog time as mine (laughs) on a different network, NFL Live. I think NFL Live is exceptional. I think it is an outstanding television show. Uh, And it's got half the cast, more than half the cast, are former NFL players that crush Though the I would say the secret sauce, not so secret to the show, is the non-NFL player Mina, who is a, a utterly brilliant person while also totally getting television, which is a very hard needle thread. Sometimes you can be too smart yeah. for TV. Um, so on that show, I don't think it's over-indexed at all. Um, I think that where it can get tricky, and now I'm going to get myself maybe in a little bit of trouble, is does everyone agree we're doing the same television show? So I want to say something about J.J. Redick. Okay? Yeah. Uh, He, I don't think, I think he is brilliant at a lot of things. I also think that if he believes 
arguing about silly sports things is beneath him, he shouldn't do it. And I think that that is, I think the thing that happened with him in Perk was wildly unfair to Perk. And I don't know Kendrick at all. Um, I don't know JJ either. And I, what I don't like is when I wouldn't like it if I'm like, Hey, Ethan, come over to my house. We're having a a checkers party. We're going to have a giant checkers tournament. And you're like, okay, sounds great. I'll be there. And then we're all there. We're all having a good time. It's your turn at the board. And you're like, don't you fucking idiots know chess is the real game? <laughs> like, well, you didn't have to come. <laughs> it's like, we are enjoying this. Like, maybe you're not, but this is what we're doing. So, like, why? So why? And that bothers me. And where I will, what I will say is, I don't think, I think that the non-athletes who are on TV tend to at least always agree Yes, of course, we are all arguing about things that in, you know, we I I got I had somebody get very mad at me a a year ago because I tweeted to Zach, Zach Lowe, who I do know and I adore. Zach said on one of his podcasts just nonchalantly, he was like, Kevin Durant, you know, one of the 10 greatest players of all time. And I tweeted to Zach. I was like, you can't say that. I was like, here's here's 12 names. Pick three to take out. Like 10, you can't say 10. And somebody, a, a sports writer, engaged me. A 538 guy, I think, engaged me. He's like, I'm amazed at the amount of energy you're able to expend arguing about meaningless things. I'm like, well, it's, not, it's not meaningless to me. And like, and I, the, I, I find lists fun. Are they important? <laughs> I don't know. I find them fun. In a world where Candy Crush has 3 billion downloads, I don't think we are all focused on the most important things at all times. I like them as well. I like the putting a man to a decision, as yes. Doyle Brunson would say in poker. I like being forced to say no this or that. But if you want to convey that you have a an elevated understanding, I couldn't possibly rank the players. I couldn't possibly. It's impossible. I have such a nuanced understanding of what's happening out there. But to what you're saying on Reddick, I completely agree with everything you said. And it's complicated because he does a lot of great work. And great work. I thought his interview with Dame was great. I think incredible. on games he's great. I think there is I think there is things that he does a million times better than me, right? And this isn't a me versus JJ thing, but there are a lot of things that JJ can do that I could not do. Yeah. But what I I just don't I don't like there's two th- I don't like when folks act like things that people enjoy are dumb because they don't like them. It's a similar thing. And maybe we've talked about this before. I don't remember. I don't like when people scoff at the Kardashians. Like, oh, why are they famous? Like, because they got a giant television show. The same reason basically anybody who's famous is famous because they're on TV or movies or whatever it is. Like, let people enjoy what they enjoy. Like, the there, there is no... There is no official hierarchy of what should be fun. And then the other thing, and this I do want to get into because I've already, whatever. I was very, very upset at how 
what Kendrick said about the MVP thing got instantly, I think, not just misconstrued, but twisted. Mm, let's hear about Saying that's, I'll use the same analogy with you that I have used that I used on my podcast. So I do my podcast with my son. He's black. I'm white. He's my adopted son. Okay. If someone says to me, "Oh my God, I would have never known. I didn't know that was your son." Is part of the reason they didn't know or they would have never thought it race? Obviously, yes. Does that at all make that person racist? Absolutely not. Race can play a part in things without making anyone involved in it a racist. And when Kendrick raised the question that I think is a fair question, if I would have put it, I would have put it like this. Is it possible that white NBA players at every end of the spectrum get judged a little differently because of their race? Meaning, if you see a white NBA player that you've never seen before that comes in off the bench, does the average fan think the guy is not that good based purely on race? Probably. Does it take longer for a white NBA player to gain respect than a black NBA player? Probably on the other end of the spectrum, if a white NBA player is undeniably great, do they at times get some bonus points? In my experience, yes. Does that mean the people giving them bonus points are George Wallace? No, (laughs) it doesn't. And so I I think we've got to be able to talk about how race can impact things without someone saying, who are you calling a racist? Because those are not the same things. And I would, and and so that's doing that in general bothers me. Doing that on live television to a teammate. That's a rough one, man. That's a real rough one. Like I, the, now, Kendrick, I think, probably presented it a little awkwardly. Didn't have all his facts right. Didn't, didn't, he didn't. But you guys are teammates. You're teammates, ultimately. And it's, it, it, the, the like, who are, are you, who are you there for? And what is your purpose? Like, that, I don't know, I, the... And again, maybe I'm sensitive to this because I'm on live television, multi, you know, 10 yeah. hours a week or whatever it is. But that's a God dog high wire act. And the last thing you need is someone that supposedly you are on the same team as, even if you're arguing about something, trying to put you in a terrible spot when, again, it can go real bad real quickly. And I didn't, I, I, I do think that it would be noteworthy if we were, in fact, not it would be, it is noteworthy to me that when you list, forget three in a row, the all-time list of back-to-back MVPs, it is 11 of the 15 greatest players ever plus Nash and Jokic. That is, to me, noteworthy. 
when you list all of the guys who, if he had won three in a row, have won three straight, not forget three straight, because that's just Wilt, Russell, Bird, and then it would have been Jokic, but have won three ever, all of them had a finals appearance under their belt except for Moses, I think, and Moses' theory did it, was the best player on the greatest team ever, except for Jokic. It's noteworthy. A lot of these things are noteworthy. And and if we want to talk about what per, why it is to just flatly say, if you are saying the novelty of it being a non-black player plays 0%, I disagree with that. And if you are saying that if you ask, if you make the, or not just ask the question, imply that race is playing at least something of a factor, you are calling people racist. I disagree with that. Flat. Yeah. JJ made a logical leap there. He he went from one thing to just like the next step beyond that. And, you know, it's funny because I actually don't think race has been a factor in Jokic winning these MVPs. I don't think that the media relates to him, but it gets very complicated. And obviously I wrote something on this and you, you read it. Now we're going to be basically doing a, your take on my take on your take kind of conversation here. Um, But the Steve Nash one was an interesting one because I I didn't have any problem with Levitard back in the day saying that, well, is his race a factor in the media loving him because the media so clearly loved him. They loved him and they loved him in part because he was a lot like them. Now, I wouldn't reduce that to just being a white guy. Yes, he was a white guy, but he was also a white guy with the cliche Gen X college educated white guy opinions of that particular era. Talking about how much he loves Radiohead or he just said and he was also just very charismatic in general. And he would speak Spanish in the press conference. But you know what also helped him was his little. I think there's a yeah. little, you know what I mean? There's a lot of things. But can I, you said you don't think race plays all factor in the Jokic thing because the media doesn't relate to him. Or a let negligible. Me, I mean, some okay. factor is possible, yes. All right, let me ask this question. If Nikola Jokic had, if we had an NBA star who's a big, giant guy with two objectively giant, scary brothers who showed up at games mm. and S-talked the opponents. And this guy, in his MVP seasons, one year, the final play of his team's season, he wasn't on the court for because he got ejected from the playoff game for a cheap shot. And midway through the next year, because you remember that, that the year that he won, that he got thrown out, and the very next year, He ended a guy's season by giving him whiplash, by shoving him from behind. And he does not look like Nikola Jokic. You think his 100% approval rating, except for by me, is still 100%? Because I don't. I think he is. I I think he is. He is. He is taken very differently. If that is. And and his brothers are big, scary dudes. You're speaking to a real thing because this is something that a lot of players notice. But I think what they're noticing is the absence of criticism and they're regarding it as love when really I would say it's just evidence of a lack of investment. I I think that, yes, to what you're saying, there is not 
a, a criticism of Jokic in the way that he is not held to the sort of standard that other superstars are held to with those expectations. Draymond was talking about in his podcast, and there's more pressure yep. on these American black players. But we also care more about them and their journey and what they do um, than we do with Jokic. So I think there's an element there where, yes, the approval rating or the disapproval rating is not high, but the investment in the buy-in is not high. Now, how did he win those MVPs? I think that there is an element here. This is just a take out of nowhere. I think the original sin in the MVP conversation is Russell Westbrook's MVP season. Yeah. I think that's when things got screwy. I think that I think that's when things got off kilter and we stopped knowing what we're talking about when we're talking about these things because the established way it was done before was that you had to be on a team that was crushing it. You had to be on a team that was a title contender. You had to be the main reason a title contending team was title contending. And that season for a variety right. of reasons we decided it's like baseball. It's, hey, this guy's ERA. It's not his fault the team's not winning Cy Young. That's not how we've done it. And so it just opens up the conversation to all the statistical analysis divorced from whether or not we think the team is going to win the championship. And that um, goes and back. And by the way, we don't have to like think the, the year Kobe scored 81 and averaged 35 points per game. He did not win MVP. And he did not win MVP because that Lakers team, I think, was a seven seed. I'm not sure. But whatever it was, it was like, well, this team can't win the title. So he yeah. can't win MVP. And that's just how it always had been. That's correct. That's absolutely yes. right. Yes. And so I believe, if my memory is correct, that Jokic won as a six seed. Um, Last year. His second MVP. Yes. yes. That one almost seems like that, that perhaps was a mistake. Perhaps deserved statistically. But – now it's a weird circumstance where it seems almost like they need to do a makeup call and make sure he doesn't win it when he's doing even better statistically and the team is doing way better. And it just seems like that's what got things screwy. It was going against the tradition and the convention of giving the MVP to a guy who is on a legit title contender, which I am in favor of. I know there's an argument against it that says, hey, it's whoever contributes the most wins or the most uh, WAR to the effort. But, hey, it might not be your fault if you're a superstar and you're given 19 additional wins to a bottom feeding team. It might not be your fault that you're in that situation. But really, all you're doing for that team in real tangible terms is giving them a worse lottery pick. So, yes, it makes some sense to make the MVP about a guy on the top tier team. And that helps tell the story also, of the season. But Correct. And it also, so much of that, that there, there are so many things that I think deny what we all know is true about sports. So like I was watching the NCAA tournament today and one of the games, I forget which one I was watching at the very end, there was a five minute replay review, like a minute left. And I heard Gene Steratore and whomever it was, whoever it was, saying, well, you know, a call this important. They're going to take every angle because they have to make sure they get it right. And they, of course, still couldn't find the video evidence. But one of the reasons those things, I think, are a blight on the sport is it pretends that fatigue is not a huge factor in sports. Yes. The better conditioned team should be rewarded for that and acting like that. You are having 
that one incorrect out of bounds call would have more of a unfair impact on the winner than a random six minute stoppage in the most critical moments to me just divorces reality from sports and when and the the uh, uh you know a, a branch off that tree is acting like there is it is not harder to produce on a night in night out basis for a team that has real championship aspirations than it is for a team that knows it's not going anywhere is just not how any of us have ever experienced sports. We all know that, that the pressure and the gravity of situations matter in people's ability to perform. And so I just, it's also why I think that, a lot of the catch-all metrics, they are they, they are useful to look at and have as a piece of our information set. And I think that they it is a loot, and not that many people do this, but it is it is borderline lunacy to act like there are there's not flies in the soup regularly. On a lot of them, I want to bring it back to Kendrick, uh, just real quick. Do you think he changed the conversation? I mean, this is another is race a factor. Did despite getting defenestrated by JJ Reddick, did Kendrick Perkins make a few writers think twice, or is it just all because Jokic started losing that the title uh, odds have tanked and now it's Giannis? So it's Embiid. Embiid right now is the oh, favorite. Oh yeah, yeah, sorry, that is was it, my that was Freudian slip. I think it should be honest. It should be honest. Just- <laughs> yeah, no. So, so yeah. as of mo- so Monday morning, the odds were as follows: Jokic minus two sixty, Embiid plus two fifty, Giannis nine to one. As of Thursday morning, it was Embiid minus one ten. Jokic plus I don't 105 or something and and Giannis plus 350. So they have massively shifted in 4 days. I think it is a combination of Giannis and Embiid both going on crazy tears, the Nuggets losing, and I think that there has been a because of Kendrick's comments, if I may give myself a little bit of credit, because of my ongoing kind of beating the drum of, are we going to rewrite, Are is this group of writers going to say all the previous groups of writers were wrong? That when Jordan had won two in a row, they said, you know what, it's close, give it to Barkley. And when LeBron had won two in a row, you know what, give it to Rose. And when Nash had won two in a row, they said, he's not winning again, it's Dirk. And when Giannis won two in a row and didn't produce in the playoffs, they gave it to Jokic. Are we going to say, nope, they were all wrong? And it was, there. There, I think that it was, it never there was never the, the the Jokic MVP case to me was never as obvious as folks tried to make it out to be. It was the guy is wildly efficient and a great passer. That's the whole case because 
his rebounding numbers are the same as Embiid and Giannis. His scoring is damn near 10 points less than Embiid. The teams, like the wins, were always close. You know what I mean? And now he's in at the very moment, barely, but in third amongst the three. And obviously on the defensive end, those other two guys were far better. So it never made sense in Bon Temp's straw poll that, that 77 of a hundred had this guy. It never, it, it, that to me, it, it was, that was always, it was going to, it was going to correct unless, and this is, and I think we've talked about this before. I do. Th- I, I, I think that it takes a few of the thought leaders in the smart basketball community. And I'm not talking about me or Kendrick. I'm talking about the people with votes yeah. that uh, the other writers. Everybody's ta- they're, they're tailing Zach Lowe. They would be terrified to pick against Zach, I think. Well, okay. So I was kind of thinking that, but I haven't, I don't know what Zach said about the MVP race. And again, I, if Zach, I, I, I oh, think Zach I, knows I, this. I mean that, I mean that in general, I don't compliment. know what Zach said either. Yeah. yeah. I'd say the, but, this is, this is a compliment to Zach, but I think it is an issue with having um, transparent but, voting and knowing what everybody voted for. Well, So that's what is, I said. I said that to Mannix and Mannix said I was crazy. I said, I think we'd have better MVP voting if it was anonymous. And he said, no, you should have to answer for it. And I get that. But I also get I also believe that in a lot of things, people are more honest when their name's not attached to it. And that if it was um, if it were anonymous, I think you would have had more people be or and maybe it'll happen this year anyway. People just be like, man, are we really going to give this guy three straight MVPs before we see him play in one finals game? Are we going to do that? Like, no, we're not. I mean, it's similar with the Oscars, isn't it? Where it's not always about the uh, award season itself, though theoretically it should be. But sometimes they go, hey, you've been a great actor for years. This You, you might not deserve it for this particular film. I wish I had the kind of memory that I could say. Oh, well, I mean, uh, listen, Denzel's a good example. Denzel won for Training Day, and he was awesome in Training Day, but the idea that that was his best movie is ludicrous. The guy doesn't win for Malcolm X, uh, and your producer Mays tells us Pacino and Scent of a Woman. Uh, Scorsese, Scorsese won for Departed. God, Mays is just rapid fire with these. And by the way, I'm okay with that. I'm actually okay with that. Yeah, I kind of enjoy life's imperfections. This is also why I'm in total alignment with you on replay. I go, sometimes they get calls wrong. I I don't think we need to make perfect the enemy of good. I don't think we need to uh, try to make sure that in this segment of time, uh, this exact thing happened. We can just kind of let things work out. Am I mad about a makeup call happening every now and again in a game? Well, maybe if it's my team, I'm mad. But in general, as a principal, I... I don't know. I'm I'm okay with that. And there's a little bit of that when it comes to MVP voting. Um sure. and one can have an issue with that. And yeah, you're right. Training Day, ironically enough, is a movie that Denzel screwed up. Uh this is completely non-essential to anything we're talking about, but he forced them to have the ending that they had where he as the villain gets killed because he's a very religious man. And in interviews he said that really? the wages of sin, the wages of sin should be death. And so it's a he he did a great 
performance and it's a very watchable movie. But if it seems a little odd and all tied together and suddenly the Russians show up, spoiler alert, they kill Denzel. Uh, that's because he was dealing with filmmakers who had never made a movie before. And so he had the leverage. Uh, I didn't but, know that. So, yeah, I mean, oh, according I to my memory, according to my okay. memory. So take it with a grain, take it with a grain of salt. But, yeah, that kind of thing happens. It has a distortive effect. And and God damn it, Nick, I like these conversations. And I'm with you on the idea that we can't act like we're above them. It doesn't make sense to participate in sports fandom and uh, act as though this is somehow. OK, well, maybe we'll do the, the steel man as opposed to the straw man. What would you say to people saying, well, it's contrived? Well, you guys don't actually believe what you're saying about this. You're saying it to to get us riled up. God damn you, Nick Wright. You put out this pyramid, this this sports pyramid, this NBA player pyramid as a way to get us riled up. What would you say to that? Well, okay. I I get asked this all the time, and I am I am I think. Like, I really, really enjoy when people stop me and say they watch the show. What the I, I like that. The only time I get a little standoffish is if someone says, you don't really believe that stuff you say. Of course I do. Of yeah. course I do. I, I'm not. A, you, you couldn't do. You could maybe do a once a week, 30 minute show. And have it be all contrived. Can't do five days a week, multiple hours live and have to remember all the things you've said that you don't believe. You know what I mean? And and keeping all those balls in the air. Now, is it a performance? Did we literally have trumpeters on the show after Trevor Lawrence (laughs) beat the Justin (laughs) Herbert? Yes. Do I? Is it more bombastic? Am I a little more strident because it's television? Of course, but it is all based on what I truly believe and then pressed out from there. And so now like the player pyramid, do I think that is a, a perfect ranking of the 55 best players in the league? No. Is it how I believed they should be ranked? Yes. Did I put it out there to generate discussion? Of course, we are in the attention business, but it wasn't there. There is there is not a single thing on there that I can't defend and that I don't actually believe. And I actually um, I actually think my a lot of my stances are. More. I find it way more defensible like on the the Jokic thing I had him I had the pyramid went Giannis on the top row I'm looking at it right now it's 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 provoking it's provoking that response in me Nick where I'm going I don't agree with that I don't agree with that level because I got it I have the speaking of the pyramid in about eight minutes, I have to go watch some of the pyramid guys De'Aaron Fox take on the uh, take on the net but tell me we got to wrap up soon but okay. tell me your biggest issues with the pyramid. Oh, I'm a, I'm a homer. I, I think Steph should go up a rung right there. I think uh, – who, who should he replace? I would have him replace Embiid. If I'm trying to win a playoff – if I'm trying to win a playoff series, I'm probably going with Steph. 
Luca, I mean, he's really gone up a level. Eh, that one's a little bit tough. It's defensible. I, I, I would probably have it up there, but I agree with Giannis as as number one. And I am Giannis a is on the, I think Giannis, I don't yeah. think it's I, I don't think you're allowed to I don't think you can be taken seriously as a basketball, someone that covers basketball, if you don't think Giannis is the best player in the league. But people got upset. One of the things they were like, oh my God, your Jokic hate has to stop. Because I had Jokic on the fourth row, which means he's beneath Giannis, Luka, Embiid, Steph, Durant, Tatum. And the point I would make is, I don't think it's even arguable about anyone other than Tatum. I don't think you can, I don't think anyone actually, even the people like you have them too low, I'm like, okay, who would you rather have? Again, if we are assuming health, who would you rather have starting these playoffs? Durant or Jokic? I don't think anyone, no one is actually saying Jokic. Who would you rather have, Steph or Jokic? No one actually would rather have Jokic. They're just making some weird argument. Now, you want to say, oddly enough, Embiid or Jokic, because Embiid is, you know, has not had great playoff success. I will listen to you. I think that is less about his fault and more about circumstance. By the way, similar to Jokic, but I don't look at a hole. I don't think there's a hole in Embiid's game like there is defensively for Jokic. Yeah. And so I just I don't think that's trolling. I think that is the I think that is kind of how we view basketball now. Your point of step over Embiid, I listen, like, I think there's a credible case to it. And I think at the beginning of the year, I had Steph alongside Luka, and I jumped Embiid up because of how he's been playing this season. But yeah, that's, I don't, the, I I understand that argument entirely. But it's fun to have these conversations is the main point. And I want to have one more of them before you got to get out of here and sure. watch a basketball game. Because apparently from your conversation with Colin, this is you guys finish with the football season, go on vacation and then lock the hell in to the yeah, NBA like crazy. Right. I don't want to I don't want to disrupt no, the information diet. Um, you I remember with Broussard had an argument about LeBron versus Michael Jordan for greatest of all time and said that you had kicked off the show a long time ago with that exact argument. What is it about that particular argument uh, that makes it worthy of such focus? And uh, I would uh, I would say that I'm on Broussard's side. I think it's Mike, but I'm, I'm curious to hear any more of the uh, the LeBron perspective from your side of things. Well, there's two. So I guess two different things. The first one is why is it compelling? It's compelling because Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever live is the closest thing to a religious truism we have in sports. And like many religious tenets, it does not hold up to under scrutiny. And mm. so I find it. I, I I also find it intriguing and fun to have. Because I like the fact that I am certain that in the long, long run, it is going to be considered undeniable. Once we get to the place where nobody watched either one of them, it's not once you're just like looking at resumes. People are going to laugh that it was ever even a debate. And I like the fact that I think 
that people are going to be like, who was the first person to really make this case? And it was me. It was me five <laughs> years, six years ago. Um, I just, I, I, I think undeniable. That is strong. That is strong. I mean, well, let me is, ask he's you probably, this, is he going to get to the title amount that Jordan got to? Is no. he going to get to the MVP amount that Jordan got to? No, but, but, but Jordan didn't get to the title. Jordan didn't get to the titles. Russell did and didn't get to the MVPs. Kareem did. And so I, LeBron's case against Kareem is harder to make than LeBron's case against Jordan. So let me just ask you, Ethan, as a Jordan guy, who was hmm. the better 18 year old? Oh, that would be LeBron. Yeah. 19. I mean, I, yes, I think through the early 20s, it would have to be LeBron James. But at a certain okay. point, at okay, a certain point, the there's going to be guy. a departure. Right. Okay, that's uh, fine. I was, <laughs> But the, the, the middle is what so, people care about, Nick. Okay, it, all right. The, so, so, but hold on. But hold on. Hold yes. on. Hold on a second. It's undeniable, and it's not close, that up to age 24, Four, it's LeBron. 18 through 24, that's six years of NBA basketball for LeBron. He was better. Pretty undeniable that from 36 up, it's LeBron since Jordan had quit the sport. So now we're talking about the middle. The middle's close. We go year by year by year. It's probably in a nine-year set, five to four Jordan. Oh, that's not how we evaluate it. Okay, how do we evaluate it? Like the, who was, the, LeBron was a more efficient player. LeBron was a more durable player. LeBron was the far better distributor. LeBron, unlike Jordan, proved he could do it with any coach or any teammate. Mm, That's an interesting one. Jordan, in his career, won one playoff game without Scottie Pippen and had three seasons in his career of the five he played without Pippen where he finished below 500 or four of the five seasons. I'm not sure which never won a playoff round. He, we, we also know that LeBron as far as, Oh, the finals losses. What we know is that in those finals, LeBron has played teams with multiple Hall of Famers, Jordan played the the Magic's Lakers, who had two Hall of Famers, and then he played the Blazers, who had one, the Suns, who had one, the Sonics, who had one. Great, okay, but it, and people are like, "Oh, Nick, but LeBron got to all those finals because the East was weak, dude." Go look at the East in the 90s, not the 80s when Jordan was getting his ass kicked. Mm. The 90s, when he had to go through the Knicks, who had one all-star, not Hall of Famer, all-star. The Pacers, who had one all-star, not Hall of Famer, all-star. Oh, those Cavs teams were great. They were? They you were, don't, you don't respect the flat the flat top Hornets. You've got no love for them, no respect. Oh no! I listen. <laughs> I, I have respect for the Hornets. I also understand that he had to go through the Magic, who had, were awesome, and he went one and one against them. Oh, but Nick, you can't count that year. Why not? We can't. That's the other thing that happens with the Jordan. He did. Stuff. He did kick the shit out of them the next year, though. I mean, that was <laughs> right. A but he lost to sweet. him. But he lost to him the first time. And and it's it, that's a weird thing with Jordan. It's like, well, you can't count 
the first three years of his career. You can't count the last two years of his career, <laughs> and we can't count 95, except for when we mentioned the 55 he scored at Madison Square Garden. We can count that, but we can't. It's all it's all myth making. It, it's all there, and so I just the if the argument is. I guess my ultimate the the, the I, I, I would interject. It's myth making yes. if the myth was real. You know, I think you compared it to Paul Bunyan, and I would say there was a large man and he had a big blue ox. Like Michael Jordan was that guy. I think, uh, um, of course, like, like Bob Costas once said, his essence is deeper than image. In fact, the image is, in his case, an amplification of something true and substantive. I, I, I was almost able to pull that off, and I hit my microphone in the middle of saying <laughs> that. Um, you know, it, it, it's like the man was the myth. He's got to get credit for that. And I, to of what course, you're saying, he does get credit. It's not. Like the guy doesn't get credit. No one's going to be somebody has to say Michael Jordan's good at basketball about Michael I, Jordan. I, I, the, I, I'm not. I'm not arguing any of that. But what I am yeah. saying is, I I guess the the simple elevator pitch is who had the higher peak is at least a debate. You can say it was Jordan. I think LeBron's 27 game winning streak. And, you know, that heat version of LeBron, we can argue which peak was higher. That is a debate that can be had. It is not debatable who had the greater, more impressive overall career. So if one guy, he's going to, LeBron's, LeBron, LeBron is on the brink of, but I think a 19th all NBA team. Jordan had 11. If he ends up doing double the stuff, there is a LeBron, the gap between the thing Jordan did best was score. There is a bigger gap between LeBron and Jordan's points than Jordan and Paul Pierce. Like if if the thing he did, the Jordan did best, LeBron has done better than anyone in history. I fail to see how this is going to be an argument. I just do. I would say what he did better than anybody in history is dominate his sport. And when we have these debates, the question but is often do by what standard. Than Russell. Well, the, the modern NBA left a certain no, impression on the culture that the that the old NBA in black and white the without thing. the three point line. But that's the thing is, and we, by the way, uh, he did it more so than Russell on an individual dominance basis, leading the league in scoring for over a decade. Um, and look, I agree with you. Bigger, faster, stronger guys get better. LeBron probably a better basketball player than Michael Jordan if you put them in their primes on the court at the same time. But if this is a if this is done on a relative basis, Jordan more dominant in the 1990s than LeBron was in his sport in any decade, and that's going to be determinative. And it seems to be in terms of shoe sales. I don't think if LeBron made his version of the last dance at any point, people would want to watch oh, the same way. Oh, he's more iconic. But that's to me the, the shoe sales thing, and that that's a that's a by by that definition. Uh, <laughs> Kyrie Irving is the greatest player of all time. No, by that definition, Kyrie Irving's (laughs) 10 times the player Isaiah Thomas was. And that's but there is a historical resonance that's reflected in that kind of dominance that endures to this day. So that's I think that's that's basically the argument is that relative to era. Jordan more so. But Jordan that's had the, the best other te- thing. Jordan but- best team of his era. LeBron I don't think had the best team of his of this decade or okay, the last but hold decade. On, but hold on a second. 
So because mm-hmm. the, 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 this is my this is where I but a, some of that is myth making because they say Jordan like nobody won on Jordan's watch. It's not true. Barkley, Malone, Ewing are the only Pantheon-ish players that never won because Jordan played in an era with Larry Bird, who won with Jordan in the league, with Magic Johnson, who won with Jordan in the league, with Kareem, who won with Jordan in the league, with Isaiah, who won with Jordan in the league, with Akeem, who won with Jordan in the league, with, and I know people get very mad when I say this, Michael Jordan played basketball with in an era with Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, and David Robinson. And guess what? They all won rings when Jordan was playing. But Nick, you can't hold Wizards years <laughs> against Michael. Why not? He was playing and other guys won titles. LeBron this year is the same age Jordan was his first year with the Wizards. Are we saying it's too old to play basketball? It's not. But again, if I say to you, all those guys won rings with Jordan in years. Clyde Drexler won a ring when Jordan was in the league. Nick, you're being unfair. Why? It, the, the, the argument has been so perverted to the point to where if you include Jordan's entire career as his career, it's considered unfair. Think about that. If you say Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler won a championship in a year Jordan played, people are like, well, did he really? I mean, I don't know. He was there. He played. You have to submit to Paul Bunyan's dominance of the narrative. Paul Bunyan said the loss to the Magic in the playoffs doesn't count, and he said the Wizard stuff doesn't count. And you know what? That's just uh... that's what I'm saying. It's just it's just (laughs) unbelievable. People say I'm unfair. Because I say, you know what your NBA career should be? From the moment you start, every year you play counts, good and bad. Where that doesn't work is if your argument is he was six for six. Michael Jordan's career is talked about in these terms. He gets credit for all the points in every year, all the MVPs, all the all-defensive teams, all the all-NBAs. He gets all of that credit, but you're only allowed to discuss the six seasons he won titles. That's nonsense. That is nonsense. We can't talk about him getting swept out of the playoffs in the first round in consecutive years. That's unfair. We can't talk about Sidney Moncrief beating him in the playoffs. We can't talk We can't talk about the Magic beating him. And God forbid we talk about the years that he played in his late 30s with the Washington Wizards. Those things are all off limits. Why? Why? <laughs> They're not. Because people saw enough to regard him as the greatest of all time despite those things. I think that's why. I but think that's something what... new has happened. That you're <laughs> right. That I, I Listen, I think Kareem is, had a better all-time career than Jordan, but the, the general consensus was it was Jordan. That's fine. But the idea that people saw enough to say no one will ever match it, I disagree with. But clear, listen, uh, I, uh, I wish you didn't. I, I wish you didn't have to go see a game oh. right now because I could just, I could just do this. I, I could do this all day. Um, it's truly a this? pleasure. Let what, me ask what? you. Speaking of Michael Jordan, can I drop a woge bomb on you? Okay. Charlotte Hornets owner Michael Jordan 
engaged in serious talks to sell a majority stake in the franchise. So no Hornets, way. Yeah. The Hornets owner, no Gabe Plotkin, and Atlanta Hawks minority owner, Rick Schnall. So let me ask you this, and then we can go. Since Jordan gets credit for a part of the GOAT conversation, his impact on the culture, the documentary, and shoe sales, when LeBron buys a team, if they're not a shit show for 20 years, does that help his GOAT? <laughs> if when LeBron owns a team, he's not the worst owner in the sport. Like, if Jordan gets Nike sales, does LeBron get not drafting Adam Morrison? Like, is that going to be part of the case? I think we need to start small and it's will the Lakers and I hope the Warriors because I want to see it. I want both these teams to somehow get in because both those guys, Steph and LeBron, they got some legacy stakes. If they can somehow pull off after a shitty season, messed up season, winning a title, it could be very. Well, listen, I agree with you. I agree with you. But if they don't, if Steph or LeBron don't win a title, what I really, really hope is that they lose early because we all know losing early in the playoffs doesn't hurt your legacy. <laughs> but if you fucking win rounds and make the finals and then you lose, you know, you should have just gone 20 and 62. So for <laughs> Steph's case, God, no, listen, the, he better, he, he, he just better <laughs> lose in the conference finals or even better yet the first round. Don't make the finals and lose to Giannis because winning those rounds will be held against you at a later date. Uh, Hey, there's something to be said for winning every time at the highest leverage moment, but I do think you stuck the landing right there, Nick. I would love to do this again sometime. Thanks so much. You don't need to plug anything. Everybody knows. Or do you want it? No, no, just my podcast. If people are podcast listeners, subscribe to the What's Right Show. Uh, I appreciate that. And I'm about to go watch the Kings light the beam from 3,000 miles away. Talk to you later, bro. Light the damn beam. Thanks, Nick.